Let's pray together before we talk a little bit about the Gospel of Matthew. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you that we can come together on a Wednesday night, that we can look into your word, and that we can see what it says, uh, not just verse by verse, but book by book. Uh, We can see what you would have for us. And tonight we see your son Jesus. We see his birth. We see his life and his ministry. And we see his crucifixion, his death. And praise you, Father, we see his resurrection. And so, Lord, as we look at at this first of Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Lord, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you help us to see how we might dive into the text on our own and with our families? And as we do so, Lord, we pray that we would glorify you in all the things that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the Gospel of Matthew. As you see here in, on your handy-dandy handout, uh, the theme of the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that which is promised in the Old Testament. Namely, the salvation of God's people. And God's people are not limited to Jews, but to all those who would believe. Now, the Gospel of Matthew, a well-beloved book of the Bible uh, for, for many Christians, including myself, it was the first book that perhaps you flipped open to because you thought, Old Testament, I don't care about the old stuff. I want the new stuff. And so you go to the New Testament and you open it up. Well, the first book... It's Matthew. And so you begin to read. Uh, you know, the Gospel of Matthew, it's, it's well-beloved. Uh, there, are, there are many texts in it uh, that, you, that you kind of, you know, remember right off the top of your head. Uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, and all of the different quotations that you find in there. It's surprising, actually. You know, Jesus' sermons are often the most quoted uh, by you know, secular culture. Uh, you know, you see these blurbs and things like that. Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and on, uh, so on and so forth. And you find that in uh, Jesus' own sermon, uh, his preaching that we see recorded in God's word. Uh, the solid rock verses, I have a little asterisk by it. Uh, you'll see on your handout. You know, when we're, when we're in the Gospel of Matthew, that is the account of Jesus' ministry, the account uh, of Jesus' life and death, well... You have a lot of solid rock verses. If you recall, our solid rock verses are those verses in Scripture that point in a unique way to Jesus. We have have arrived at Jesus here in the Gospel of Matthew. And so uh, we take a little bit of a different uh, route here. I want you to be aware of it. And I just put a little little one sentence uh, just letting the, the reader know that uh, that these verses portray important events within the book itself, you know, key events, things that it might be wise as you're kind of reading through Matthew on your own, as you're diving into it, which is, by the way, the purpose of this whole series, is that with these resources, you would then be able to open up to the Gospel of Matthew with more, uh, with more courage and with more knowledge. Uh, well, these might be some integral moments in the Gospel of Matthew that would help you uh, walk the path, uh, maybe torches along the path or whatever uh, illustration might be helpful to you there. Having said that, you know, this book carries particular revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and I said that earlier, but with the Gospels, you also get particular nuances. Uh, if you 
are familiar with our scriptures, you know that there are three Gospels. They're called the synoptic Gospels. In other words, see them together. Uh, synoptic, see them together. Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, we're not going to dive into the textual criticism to see maybe who wrote whose gospel first, or maybe if one author was holding you know, the gospel of Mark, for instance, while he penned some of his, or, uh, or whatever that might be. There are a lot of different theories out there, and we can, we can talk uh, uh, in my office at length, uh, and I can give you many articles and many books from conservative scholars that will help you immensely. Uh, we do not have the time for that. Uh, suffice it to say that God's word is God's word. And as far as the Gospel of Matthew goes, it's unique in the fact that there is a connection with the Old Testament that we see with this Gospel. More so than uh, Mark or Luke or John. Uh, you know, the, It was placed here purposefully. Uh, not only by the compilers of this canon, but providentially by the Holy Spirit. You know, why don't we have the Gospel of Luke first, for instance? Well, it made sense to have the Gospel of Matthew first because his nuance, his, his uh, view on the things that, that he wanted to write about was that Jesus fulfilled all of those Old Testament prophecies that the Jews held so closely to their heart. And more than that, it's so sweet because we, as, as we enter into the new covenant era with Jesus ushering in salvation by faith in this very particular and obvious way, we see that the Gentiles are also included. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, is writing that Jesus is king, that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophecy and that those Old Testament prophecies don't just include Jews. They include all those who would believe. A sweet gospel message and a sweet gospel truth. Uh, you know, an, another way to put the, the nuances of the gospel writers, it's like uh, the, the statue at the state house, for instance. You know the statue that's standing in front of the state house? Well, if you look at it from the front, maybe standing on Main Street, you'd see one image of the statue, right? What if you were standing behind it? It's the same statue. It'd be a different picture, though, wouldn't it? You might describe different things about it. You'd see different scenery behind it. Well, what if you're standing to the left of it? What if you're standing to the right of it? Well, you have four images of the same statue. That's kind of a typical illustration that's used for the Gospels. You know, as we look at them, it's the same statue. It's Jesus. They're talking about the life, the ministry, and the death of Jesus. And yet... You see it from different angles. You see it with different descriptions. You see it with different emphases with each writer. And so let's get into some of those emphases, some of those nuances uh, with the Gospel of Matthew. Because as we see them, it will really help, uh, help you as the reader, help you as your family, as you're trying to dive in. To, to see what Matthew is focusing upon uh, will only reveal more about Jesus' life and ministry, more about what he's doing and why he's doing it. Uh, it's, it's quite beautiful. So the first nuance I'd like to talk about, emphases by the writer Matthew, tax collector, the apostle, um, 
see that in Matthew 9. Uh, is Jesus the king? That's the first emphasis. Uh, Matthew is writing part, w- with a particular focus uh, that Jesus is David's son. And not only uh, is Jesus David's son, uh, but Jesus is a total fulfillment of that kingship. He is the capital M Messiah, the anointed one, as it were. David being anointed in the Lord, Solomon likewise, on and on you go uh, through the lineage. But Jesus, the fulfillment of the kinghood. Matthew 1, we come to the royal genealogy. Uh, we'll just start with Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. We won't go through the whole genealogy. Unless y'all want to read all the names, uh, we can do that. Uh, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Yeah, there, there's an emphasis on David. How do I know that? It's because David's first. But David wasn't born first. Abraham was born first. Even from the very first verse, we see an emphasis by the writer Matthew. Uh, this, is, this is the genealogy of kingship. This is the kingly line that we see uh, uh, being recorded by Matthew as he goes down the list. Uh, another example of this are the magi, the wise men from the east. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. You see there, these wise men come from the east. They come to Herod. Uh, they don't realize who he is at the moment, and they They come into Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? In a great twist of irony, in a total fulfillment of scripture, we see at the very end of the gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. Chapter 27, verse 37. If you want to flip there, you can, but I'll read it right quickly. And over his head... They put this charge against him. This is during Jesus' crucifixion. This is over the cross. They put this charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now, Matthew's recording this particularly because in a, in a, great, in a great twist, in a, in, a, in a terrible way, we see a fulfillment of Jesus' kingship. And, and that's the gospel. Uh, we don't need to, we don't need to uh, sit and ponder in sadness because, because even as Jesus on the cross, uh, totally defeated in the world's eyes, uh, he's totally defeating death for those that would believe in him. He is the king of the Jews as well as all those who would believe. Regarding Jesus' kingship, uh, we might see this elsewhere even. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Repent. This is John the Baptist, by the way. Uh, John proclaiming the way uh, for Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom. And this kingdom motif doesn't go away in the Gospel of Matthew. We see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, for instance. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Not only is he proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, but he's also healing every disease and every affliction. 
uh, Matthew, all throughout the gospel, uses these inclusive words. All and every. Uh, Jesus has no enemy that he cannot defeat. He has bound the strong man, as Matthew records from Jesus' own mouth. The strong man being Satan. And he is even plundering the house of that strong man. There is no one who can stand in his way. He is the king. Speaking of the kingdom again, we see his parables. Many people are familiar with the parables. Uh, We see them in all of the gospels, of course. And yet there's a particular emphasis in Matthew on kingdom parables. Matthew 13, I won't read through a lot of them, but Matthew 13, 11, for instance. Uh, and he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, verse 18 and 19. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom, and we see, I mean, it continues on, the parable of the weeds, thirteen twenty-four. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man. Yeah, these, these parables on the kingdom... Matthew is remembering the kingdom because he is in the presence of the king. He's emphasizing Jesus, the king. There are, of course, other references. Remember I was telling you the all-inclusive language. I'll finish with this. Matthew's emphasis here on kingship with this one uh, just because it's the last last chapter of the gospel. Uh, uh, Matthew 28 We see that inclusive language. Remember, every disease and every affliction? Listen to these words from Jesus in the Great Commission, a a text that we are familiar with at least somewhat. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's an inclusive language to this. Uh, Jesus is the king. You are to obey him totally. We are to go everywhere to tell everyone this reality. Jesus is the king. Well, that's one emphasis of the gospel of Matthew. But there's another emphasis. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Matthew, the writer, is honed in, as it were, on Jesus' fulfillment of the Old Testament. One way that we see this is that Matthew has a formula. Uh, He he uses this uh, prophecy fulfillment formula. Uh, We could see this if we just flip through. We don't have to read them all, but here are some. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 22. We were at the end, so I'll let you flip back to chapter 1 real quick. These are are Matthew's emphases, you know, Jesus being the king, and, and yet that king was prophesied in the Old Testament. Well, how so? Well, chapter 1. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. Chapter 2, 
verse 5. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Uh, chapter 2, 15. Remain there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Uh, chapter 2, 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 2, uh, verse 23. Uh, uh, and he went uh, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Uh, chapter 3, verse 3. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet of Isaiah. Uh, 4, verse 14. We see here in uh, chapter 4, verse 14, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Uh, it goes on and on. We see this Old Testament uh, formula, this fulfillment, this reality that, that Jesus has come and that Jesus is fulfilling those prophecies that the Jews have been waiting on and that all those who believe have been waiting on. Uh, some more ago, if you have a pen, I, I, we don't need to flip through them all. I think I got my point across, but uh, chapter 4, verse 14, chapter 12, verse 17, chapter 13, verse 14, chapter 13, verse 35, uh, chapter 21, verse 4, and there's, there's more. Another way that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament is, is his own references to himself. You know, he asks, we see in, in, in Matthew 21 that he is David's son because this is the genealogy of David. Uh, he is the son of David, uh, or genealogy, genealogy of Jesus, excuse me, and he is the son of David. Uh, but we also see Jesus questioning the Pharisees, for instance, in chapter 22. And again, I'll just, I can just read these if you don't want to flip through. But, you know, he said to them, how is it then that David... In the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? He's asking the Pharisees to question who is the son of David and what does that really mean? They were looking for a son of David, but they were not looking for Jesus. Jesus uses a, a scripture, I mentioned it before, the Sermon on the Mountain, uh, on the Mount, chapter 5 through 7 in Matthew. Very important. Because here Jesus takes Old Testament scripture and he removes, he cleaves, he, he, he cuts away the tradition that had been joined to it like a fungus. And he revealed to the people that would listen the reality and the depth of the kingdom of heaven and what that actually looks like. It starts with blessings. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And on and on. But then Christ came to fulfill the law, we see in chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. He, he talks about, uh, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He talks about anger. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. That is the, the sixth commandment. That's what he's talking about. He, and he, he makes mention of, of almost all the other commandments. He's revealing his emphasis of scripture. And as he does that, he's revealing the total fulfillment of that Old Testament law. What we should have seen all along if our hearts had been but quickened by the Holy Spirit. Matthew is emphasizing Jesus' use of scripture because it's very important to Matthew. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of that Old Testament scripture. One 
very poignant moment is in Matthew chapter 26, if you would flip there with me. This is, of course, Jesus' own reference to himself in Scripture. In the book of Daniel, we'll get there eventually. That's kind of deep into the Old Testament there, so we may have a few weeks ahead of us. But in the book of Daniel, we see some prophecy. Uh, We see some pretty weird stuff, if I can just speak plainly. But one thing that we see is we see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. And so Jesus, uh, before the high priest Caiaphas, uh, they're, they're holding this uh, uh, sad and sick trial in the dead of night. Verse 59 of chapter 26. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none. They couldn't find any. They tried and tried. Verse 63, but Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now listen, the Christ, remember what Christ is. It's not Jesus' last name, it's Jesus' title, all right? Jesus the Messiah, that's what Christ is, is Messiah. Well, what's Messiah? Messiah's anointed one. What's anointed one? Well, anointed one is David. Anointed one is Solomon. It's Zerubbabel and Shealtiel. It's all of the kings of Israel and Judah. They have been anointed. Those who have been called by the Lord. I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. It's as soon as Caiaphas hears the word clouds that he tears his robes and he says blasphemy. He realized that the Son of Man was no longer just some signifier, some Joe Schmo. He realized that Jesus was saying, I am the Son of Man who will be coming on the clouds. He's saying he is God. He is the total fulfillment of that which the Lord had prophesied. Jesus is is holding on to that Old Testament fulfillment. And so Matthew likewise sees this. He sees that every moment Jesus is holding on to the prophecies, to his fulfillment of these prophecies. And Matthew is emphasizing that scripture because of it. Yes. Why didn't he just this confirmation that he was Christ, that he was God? Why didn't he say yes instead of you have said so? Do we know that? You know, Jesus Jesus came to this earth, uh, for instance, in John, uh, not to not to condemn, but to save. Uh, and yet we see, you know, certain sinful men. The high priest Caiaphas uh, is, is a great example. He's kind of like a caricature, right? They're seeking false testimony. They're, they're doing these kind of very blatant um, bad guy that you see on a TV show uh, type things. It's caricatured. Not everyone's going to be like this, but this is a great example. And so he says, hey, listen, are you God? Are you, are you, you, know, are you Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus saying, you have said so. He, he's implying, you know, listen. I'm not coming to force you to believe. You're the one telling something that I have said before, and you know I have said, and yet I am totally innocent. 
And then he tells the truth that he is the son of man coming on the clouds, which for the Jews, you know, for us, that seems, I, I think you, what you're referring to is that, that, you know, maybe that was a little, not snarky, but uh, like clouded, you know, what, not to, no pun intended, but, uh, you know, that's, why doesn't he just say yes instead of using this kind of prophecy? Well, yes isn't as convincing as I will be the son of man coming on the clouds. Uh, that would be like yes exclamation point uh, to high priest Caiaphas. He would know exactly where that is, and it wouldn't be murky at all. In fact, it would be a, uh, an affirmation like we would stand and salute. Uh, uh, there would be no denying what Jesus had said. And so uh, instead of thinking about that conversation being uh, you know, maybe Jesus... Uh, not to be too crude, but like beating around the bush or something like that. Uh, Jesus was being maybe, maybe very straight, straightforward, uh, maybe more so than just a yes. You know, I could say yes, right? Uh, yeah, of course. But, but when I'm talking, you know, to the high priest who knows the Old Testament scriptures, perhaps has memorized almost all of them, and to quote that, there would be no denying what Jesus is implying. You know, and, and then, of course, we see what happens right after it. Uh, blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard it. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. And so, you know, in their unbelief, Jesus presents himself as the son of God, which he is. And in their unbelief, they put God to death rather than fall down and worship. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question or helps you, uh, but that's what's happening. It is a literal translation, and the answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> um, it, you know, they talk differently than we do. And, you know, Jesus, I mean, Jesus is notorious for revealing because he is that great prophet. And so he's revealing uh, that which they should know. Uh, and they refuse to know it even when he reveals it. They close their eyes, as it were, to the light, even as they stood in its very presence. Well, while we're here, do y'all have any other questions about Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament? Y'all can ask again if you think about it towards the end. I just have one more emphasis that I see in Matthew, and that's uh, that Jesus is the Savior of all who would believe, as signified by that term Gentile. You know, Gentiles are uh, despised by Jews here in the first century. Uh, they are unclean. By ceremonial law. More than that, well, they're just dirty. They smell. We don't like them. They're uncivilized. We're Jews. And there's everybody else. God has chosen us. They haven't chosen them. Well, that's what their sinful hearts told them. Scripture has something else to say. Well, where do we see that? Well, Matthew chapter 1, if we flip back there. The, uh, the genealogy. We see something interesting in this genealogy. Now, the genealogy is very interesting for a lot of different reasons. I, I don't want to go over them all now because we don't have the time. But one uh, very peculiar moment is the mention of women. And now, you know, nowadays to mention, a, a, you know, a, a women in a family tree, well, of course you would. Well, in the first century, you did not do that. It just wasn't the practice. It wasn't the cultural practice. You never did it. And so we see four women listed. Now, not only do we see four women listed, uh, we go a step further. We see four promiscuous women mentioned. 
well, Ruth, let's, let's take Ruth back. Ruth wasn't promiscuous, all right? Ruth uh, was a fine and upstanding young lady. Uh, <laughs> that's right, she was a foreigner. And, we'll, and so you see this in Matthew chapter 1, um, verses, let's see here. Matthew chapter 1, verses 3, 5, and 6. Matthew chapter 1, verse 3. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, by Tamar. Now, if you recall Tamar, uh, she couldn't get a son by Judah's sons. And so uh, she posed as a prostitute, lulled Judah into a false sense of security. Well, it's Judah's fault. Yes, it was. And yet Tamar still opposes the prostitute and prostituted herself for a child through it. That's, you know, let's leave that one off the list, all right? Uh, no, Matthew writes it down. Tamar. What else do we see? Verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Who's Rahab? Well, she's a prostitute. Not only is she a prostitute, she's a Canaanite. Uh, she, is, she is God's sworn enemy. Those ungodly pagans who usurped the land from the Israelites, who fought tooth and nail to keep it, and who were utterly destroyed by God. Well, oh wait except for a few who would believe, Rahab being one of them. We continue in verse 5. Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Ruth being that Moabitess. She's from the land of Moab. That's no better than Canaan. What in the world are we doing? Matthew, you're not starting off very well. We continue in verse 6. Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of of Uriah, he went there. Now, if you recall, David, in one fell swoop, breaking all ten commandments uh, by uh, 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 sleeping with Bathsheba, and yet Bathsheba not being totally innocent, complied. Uriah the Hittite, by the way, married to Bathsheba. The Hittite, not a Jew. A Hittite. Uriah being mentioned, of course. And not only do we have a, a Hittite, but we have this Mar, or so one would think, on the outside. Matthew, when he writes this, every single Jew who reads it would recognize it from the very beginning. It wouldn't slip past him. It wouldn't be something like, interesting, he included Tamar. You don't include Tamar. You don't talk about Uriah. You don't talk about Rahab or Ruth. Of course that was, you know, David was there. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Let's talk about David, though. We could talk about Solomon, too. He was very wise, a wonderful king. We'll exclude some other things that he got into as well, right? Uh, that, this, this would have been immediately known by a first century Jew. Uh, no, no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Uh, and so Matthew, from even the first chapter, is emphasizing with a, with a gut punch, as it were, that Gentiles have been a part of this story since a long, long time ago. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15 to see this emphasis 
on Gentiles. Now, of course, if you recall, this is just a help, right? An aid to get you into the Gospel of Matthew. We're uh, flipping over a vast swath of text uh, that that all all of these uh, nuances and emphases are found in. But this is a very obvious moment, and one that we may skip over if we're not looking at it carefully. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Look at it with me. Verse 21. And Jesus went away from there, withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now the story goes on. Of course, we know that there are a lot of other things that we could be talking about in there, but we need to stop here. We don't need to get to the other parts first. Tyre and Sidon, where is that? Well, deep within pagan territory. Uh, In fact, over and time and time again, we see in Scripture the minor prophets, the major prophets. We see it in the narratives. Tyre and Sidon will be judged. They will be judged. They will be judged. Tyre and Sidon will be judged. So Jesus finds himself in Tyre and Sidon. While he's there, a Canaanite woman. What? If Canaan's gone, <laughs> it's a, Canaan is no more. It was gone 2,000 years ago. A Canaanite woman. You know, elsewhere, in, for instance, the Gospel of Mark. A Syrophoenician woman. That's what you meant, Matthew. A Syrophoenician. It'd be like, you know, I don't even know what it would be. It'd be like calling us a colony of, of Great Britain. It's over. That's done with. You, you know, you, what do you mean I'm a, you know, I'm sitting in the province of, you know, uh, uh, St. George or, you know, King George. It doesn't make sense to our, to our ears. And that would be the case for those who are reading it. And we need to stop because he says Canaanite woman. A Canaanite woman came to who? Verse 22, came to the son of David. Matthew's recording this because he thinks, what in the world? This is a Syrophoenician. And yet, in his emphasis, he wants you to see that this is a Gentile. A Syrophoenician is a Canaanite, but a couple thousand years removed. It's a very obvious moment where Matthew is emphasizing this inclusion of a Canaanite woman. Because we see Jesus at the end of the story, verse 28. Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith? Be it done for you as you desire. Great is your faith. What? A Canaanite woman with faith, just like Rahab, just like those other Gentiles who would believe in the Lord Jesus. And this is where we'll end this emphasis on all that would believe, on the inclusion of the Gentiles as Jesus reigns and rules supreme, as he fulfills all of that Old Testament prophecy, as he uses that Old Testament prophecy, as he reveals Old Testament law, as he speaks and and, and, and exudes Scripture, we see that all those who would believe can come to him. And we see that in his life and ministry. Matthew chapter 4. This is the start to Matthew's ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. 
Now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now flip with me to Matthew chapter 28. We start Jesus' ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus begins to preach about the kingdom of God being at hand, to repent. Matthew chapter 28. Where do we end? Let's start with Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Let's read verse 10 for context. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now let's go down to verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And there, it's on the mountain in Galilee, Jesus, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the king not only of the Jews, but of all who would believe, and even of all those who would not believe. Well, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, Matthew, the gospel writer, that tax collector Levi that was called on the road, he saw in Jesus the fulfillment of all which the Jews had longed for. And he realized that that longing wasn't limited to the Jews. It was limited, uh, it was unlimited. It was limited to no man or woman. All those who would listen, who would hear the good news of Jesus and who would believe, believe what? That he is the king. And that not only is he the king, he is also God. And not only is he the king and the God, and God, but he went and he sacrificed his life to kill death. And now we see elsewhere in scripture, of course, you know, Jesus leading the train with death as a captive, with demons as a captive, with the world as a captive, powers and principalities, because Jesus is the king. Matthew wants to say it over and over. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is God. Jesus is king. He is king. He is king. That which we have longed for is here. What do we got? Questions? Questions from anybody? We've got a couple minutes, and then we'll... I'll pray and we'll be done. Remember, y'all, this is, you know, the gospel of Matthew in particular. These solid rock verses. <laughs> if any of you have read scripture at all or, you know, heard any messages or teaching on this, you know, you know along with me that there are such sweet, sweet moments that we can find in the gospel of Matthew. I have just a few here. Uh, You know, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Do not be anxious. Do not store up your treasures here on earth where they rust, fade away, and on and on. 
Hold fast to the word. Dive into the book of Matthew. Dive into this gospel. Use this as a help. Use this talk as a help. Uh, But get in it for yourselves. Get in it with your families. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the gospel of Matthew. Uh, Lord, uh, what we see revealed by prophets in divers' manners elsewhere in Scripture, we see here in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, that long-awaited Messiah and King, your Son, with whom you are well pleased. The same Son who lived a life and died a life for us. But death couldn't hold him, Lord, and we're thankful that Matthew reveals this to us, that the Holy Spirit reveals this to us, and that we see here in this gospel that great truth, the good news. Father, help us to live by it. Help us to hold fast to it. Help us to feed on it, because we know even from the lips of Jesus here in this gospel, man does not live by bread alone. In Jesus' name. Amen.